Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined on this episode by Jean-Baptiste Lecaillon, the chef de carve at Champagne House, Louis Roderer. Jean-Baptiste brought a couple of bottles of champagne along to the recording, which is, by the way, something I'll be demanding of all guests from this point on. So over a flute or six, we spoke about his predictions for the champagne industry, the truth about biodynamic wine, and why all wine really is about our childhoods. By the way, we recorded this episode in the dining room at the Savoy, which is one of the best places in London you can go if you too, like us, would like to enjoy a glass of Louis Roderer. Perhaps you could even drink along with us while listening to the podcast, though you might look a little bit odd. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Jean-Baptiste, thanks very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Thank you. It's, it's very exciting to have you here, not least because we're thrilled to have you in London. You're probably the hardest man to track down in wine, but also because you're the only podcast guest we've ever had that's come armed with two bottles of champagne, which is very generous of you, perhaps to be expected. What have you brought with you today? I brought the Blanc de Blanc 2010 and our Rosé 2013. Okay. And why these two in particular? Uh, because there are two kinds of soils and uh, expressions that we like in champagne and, um, and they represent... Um, the yin and the yang of maybe what we do, the chalky salts for Blanc de Blanc, this is extra pure, mm-hmm. and the rosé fruitiness uh, of chalk and clay, so another expression of champagne. Of course. Do you bring champagne with you everywhere you go? Always to? Always, of yeah. course. In your hand luggage? In magnums. Fine. Magnums, magnums. only. Magnums are better, aren't they? For champagne. Uh, that's the ideal format okay. when you're just drinking for one, you know, one, one person is drinking. What, a, a whole magnum? A whole magnum for one person is perfect. 1.5 litres to yourself? Exactly. Wow. You're a stronger man than me. I think I'd be on the floor. <laughs> what, why is that about magnums, just before we get into the rest of it? Is it something to do with the, the surface area? Yeah, it's a surface area and the volume of wine, 1.5 litres, plus um, the same oxygen level than the bottle, or roughly. So uh, the yeast struggle a little bit more when they ferment the second fermentation bottle. Okay. So you get a little longer fermentation, which uh, gives in the end an extra texture to the wine. So and also because you have less oxygen uh, with uh, with the magnum compared to bottles, you have a, a fresher expression. So you have an extra texture, texture plus a fresher mm-hmm. expression. So it makes a, a very special um, format. Okay. And who decided the, the size of wine bottles originally? Why do you, why does everyone do 75 centiliters and 150? Yeah, it's, it used to be uh, 69 centiliters oh, at wow. one point, and now it's 75 for a few decades now. So it's just a, a metric, a metric okay. uh, measurement. Fine. How exciting. So you are obviously the chef de carver, Louis Roderer, um, and we're very happy to have you here. Uh, it's an amazing champagne house with a, one of the most storied histories, probably, of any of them. What are the kind of what's the highlight reel? What are the big events that everyone needs to know about? Uh, it's it's one of the last uh, family-owned uh, house, still family-owned, created back in uh, 1776, and today managed by the seventh generation direct descendant of Louis Roderer. So it's very rare today to have a family-owned, family-managed. Uh, house of this size because we have 242 hectares which mm-hmm. is a quite a large holding and we make a few million bottles so it's um, it's at the same time rare in size rare in ownership 
and um, rare in continuity of the vision, which is uh, to make uh, the very specific kind of wine, uh, what we call the ideal champagne, which is very elegant, very pure, very precise. So this is this is all this long-term vision, this family ownership, the Grand Cru we have, because we have extraordinary uh, plots which make beautiful wine. So it's a, it's a very special place, uh, house, and, um, and we are very lucky to, to work with, uh, with this family. Of course. And Cristal is the kind of premier mark. Do I say the word mark? Or Pro, uh, premier prestige cuvée right. of, of, uh, of Champagne, because created back in 1876. That's the first time a Champenois bottled a wine for, on the demand of mm-hmm. uh, the Tsar. Yeah, a uh, very special bottle, a white bottle with flat bottom, which is very unique. And um, and the idea of uh, Louis Roder at that time was to bottle also a special um, type of wine in this bot in this white bottle, which is uh, the purest, chokiest, mo- most elegant um, version of of his champagne. Mm-hmm. So Cristal is is a very special uh, wine in the history of champagne. Uh, of course, for the family, and it's a duty for us, um, for me as a, as a chef de cave today, to um, to be at the level expected for this cuvée because um, it existed before me. It yeah. will exist well after me, and I just have to to target the best possible quality for this wine. Of course, it's a duty. Yeah. And one you take very seriously, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure you have some fun along the way. Yes, yes. You you need to you, you really need to know where we come from, where we want to go, what are the possibilities, what the level of craftsmanship you have to put into the wine, as uh, in the vineyards, in the cellars, in the blending, uh, at each step at each step of the production. So it's a very very special wine. It's um, yeah, it's um, champagne becomes an art when you do yeah. when you make crystal. And what's your background? You come from a family of beer makers. Yes, yes, yes. I'm uh, I'm from Champagne, born in Champagne, but uh, a three-generation beer makers okay. family. So I've got bubbles in my blood, <laughs> but they're not Champagne bubbles, okay, they're beer bubbles. But it tells me a lot. Fermentation is something I know since I, I was born. Uh, walking in the, in the brewery with my grandfather or with my father, smelling... All those things were, were very special. So you need to, when you make wine, uh, you need to have a real um, sensitivity, uh, feeling of flavors and things. And, um, and that's, uh, the background is important, of course. Do you remember the first wine you drank that really kind of opened your eyes or blew you away? I remember very well because I had it. Two weeks ago, okay. Um, again, fine. Not the first time. Uh, no, not no, for no. the first time. But I was, uh, yes, I was 14 year old traveling in Burgundy, and I had a, a fantastic bottle of 1978 Dujac Claude de la Roche. I knew I wanted to work with seasons, with far, the farmer's life, or, or maybe the brewery or, or the wine. But I realized at that point, testing this wine, in, uh, so it was back in 1981, 1982, I realized I really, really wanted to make um, this beautiful, perfumey, mm. perfect um, expression of earth, soil, people, culture, history, everything. 
What's it like growing up in a place like Champagne when the name is so synonymous with such an incredible product? Is it, does it just pervade the atmosphere everywhere? Does everyone want to work in the vineyards? No, I, th I think it's, it's really, um, yeah, when you are born in Champagne, you believe Champagne belongs to you and belongs to, to your community. But in fact, you quickly realize that Champagne belongs to the world. Yeah. In fact, uh, champagne is everywhere. Champagne is, uh, is not anymore uh, belonging to the Champenois. Uh, we have a duty in the whole world image. This is celebration. This is, uh, this is uh, happiness. This is joy. This is uh, romanticism. This is seduction. So that's all about champagne. So mm. uh, champagne is more than a, a vineyard, more than... Uh, than uh, a place it's uh, it's an attitude i should say it's a lifestyle of course and what was your first job in wine how did you get into it uh, very easy i worked with Roder. okay <laughs> so yes i was at university uh, graduating and uh, the owner of Roder at the time so not the actual the current president but his father came to champagne and uh, was uh, looking for a a winemaker for California at the time. And um, so he asked my professor at Montpellier who, who was his best student. And uh, my professor said, I have your best student, it's him. And uh, the good news is that he's from Champagne. Oh, wow. So, what was it about you that made you so good? Did you have a particularly good nose or? Yeah, uh, I think I, re I really loved it. It's passion, you know, wine is passion. You cannot make wine, you can learn a lot about wine, but first you have to get the passion in you. And I was passionate, so I loved what I was studying. So, um, that's why I've, uh, I graduated first. It's just because I loved it. Yeah. A every kind of it. The vineyards, the winemaking, everything, the tasting, everything. I, I loved everything in that, in that, in that work. I'm, I'm lucky. Eh? I know I'm lucky. I do the, my, my job is my passion. Yeah. And what was your first job for the Rousseau family? So I was in California, sent in California okay. for Roder. Uh, as assistant winemaker in our Californian uh, operations. That was in 1989. So I spent a year there to, as an assistant winemaker to help uh, developing the first bottling of our Californian story. Yeah. And then you came back over here? Yes. And I then, then I went three and a half years in Tasmania, in Australia. Oh, wow. Because we had a joint venture in Australia. So I managed this joint venture and I launched the first Tasmanian sparkling wine um, called Jens at the time. We don't own it anymore. We sold uh, back in 95 or 90, late 94. And I came back in Champagne uh, in 90, late 93, early 94. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the family nature of the business. Why does that make it different to working to something that's owned by a bigger company or a conglomerate? The, what, what's good in, in the family business is first the history and um, uh, it's not just producing something, or it's not just crafting something, it's really being part of a full, what can I say, uh, patrimony or a full, um, uh, you, you look at things with a long term, that's, yeah. a, that's a big difference. You look at things, the terroir, your job, your relationship with people as a very long term uh, thing, um, not short-term, or I should say, uh, personal, selfish, sometimes point of view. You are part of the company somewhere. Yeah. Even if you don't own anything, you feel part of the of, of the company, and also um, you have a direct 
relationship with the owner. So the decision making is very quick. And, um, and there, there is a lot of feeling in the decisions, yeah. not just, um, what should I say, corporate thinking. It's feeling, it's more aesthetic somewhere in, in the way we manage. Yeah. Have you ever had to make a kind of a short term loss because you knew that in the long term the results would be better? Have you ever neglected, I don't know, a couple mm. of vintages for the long term goal? Yeah, I do, I do it every year. Every year you take bet you bet on um, on the long term okay uh, the real winemaker is a t- is time it's not me it's not a human being it's time so you need you only know after 10 years 6 years 10 years 15 years 20 years sometimes if you took the right decision wow uh, i joined rodrer so in back in 89 back in champagne in 93 and i'm just producing the first crystal grapes that wow. i planted in 93 okay in 2019 so it's a long long term process yeah and uh, so this is experience this is uh, and sometimes you you realize later that you've done the wrong the wrong uh, decision one of my most important decisions that i take every year this one is the level of quality i have in my non-vintage wine okay Uh, because the non-vintage wine is the real wine of the house it's it's a benchmark. It's where you, the level of the house is, um, is uh, judged every year. So every year I have to decide if the level is good enough. If it's good enough, I can produce crystal on my top cuvee as well. But when it's not good enough, and I, I have to sacrifice my top cuvee to, to make a very good, a very good non-vintage. So that's a decision I take every year, and I know only if I was right a few years later. So. Of course, yeah. So you sacrifice always something. Fine. And you're planting vines now, I guess, that you'll never cultivate, yeah. probably. Yeah. What I'm planting now is something... We'll make crystal in 20 years. Mm. And in 20 years, my successor will make the wine. Okay. So we will have plenty of... I think you might want to stay around for another 20 years, no? Uh, we'll see. Okay. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Fingers we crossed. Never know. <laughs> we never know. We never know. We never know. I do my best okay. drinking a lot of champagne, yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> and how old are the, the average vines on in your vineyards? Um, this or the average, uh, the average wine is uh, for Crystal, for example, it's forty six year old. Forty six, wow. Yeah, and average for all the vineyards, it would be tw- between twenty two and twenty five year old. Okay. So, but but um, for Crystal, we can go up to seventy year old. Amazing. Mm. And what's the what's the characteristic of a seventy year old vine against a twenty five year old? It does a small crop but super concentrated and uh, super uh, tasty mm. uh, fresh and concentrated and it gave, it gives a lot of a lot of sev- it's very savory and okay. um, yeah that's um, i should I, I you could say this is the, maybe the essence of of grapes wow it's more grapey i suppose it's yeah yeah wow yeah it's it's uh, it's terroir driven it's uh, it gets it gets every every single um, uh, details of the place. Mm. Well, talking of tasty, perhaps we should try some of this wine, which is winking at us from the corner of the room. Mm. Yes, we'll start with the rosé. Okay, I'm so, sorry for anyone listening to this; they won't get to enjoy <laughs> anywhere near like the same pleasure. But hopefully, we'll be able to bring it to life. Yeah, we'll start with the rosé thirteen. So this is a, a rosé we make from our own vineyards, okay. and uh, it's. Um, a vintage 13 was a cool vintage, so we picked in October, which is later than, than usual. 
And this is, we have developed a special way to make this wine. This is 70% roughly, let's 65% Pinot Noir, mm-hmm. 35% Chardonnay. Okay. So, yeah. Sorkester, how would we usually go about best enjoying a bottle of Louis Roderer? First, choose the right people to open it. Okay, <laughs> good answer. Yeah, <laughs> um, because it's important to share. Fine. It's, well, you it's have to all about sharing. Yeah? So, choose the right people. Okay. Uh, put yourself in the in the mood of enjoying. Uh, take to your time. Mm-hmm. You need to have a discussion with the wine. Uh, when I mean what I mean by discussion, you need the wine. The wine develops in your glass, and your first smell is not uh, your second smell is different. Your third smell will be again different. The same with your tasting, your sips, it will be always different. So take your time, uh, let the wine speak and tell the story. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we're listening. Yeah, listen, and you can listen the bubbles as well with champagne. <laughs> that's that's a nice uh, okay, song. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it talks about its terroir, where it comes from. It, to- it can talk about the sunshine of this year or not, uh, the picking conditions. Um, it talks. It, it gives you a lot of information if you know a bit yeah. of the story of the place and the people. If you don't know uh, the story, and uh, like it's most of the pe- most of the people don't know, you just enjoy it as uh, the way you want, and then you are part of the story. Because the choice of glass is important, the, cho- the choice of temperature, the choice of the people you share this wine with are all as important as the wine, almost. Mm. So um, that's the great thing about wine. You, you also, as a wine, when you taste, when you appreciate the wine, you, are, you can create the story as well. Okay. And, um, and this, is, this is what wine should be. Yeah. Champagne is really... Um, a special place with wine of elegance, purity, precision. So we try to push those expressions of lightness uh, with fruitiness and um, yeah, it's, it's uh, with joy and it has to be dynamic, energetic, and that's what that's what we try to to do when we make we make champagne. Amazing. So should we try some? Yeah. So the rosé is. Um, the fruity it has to be fruity. Yeah? It's it's of course the idea of this wine to get this uh, primary fruit, acidified fruit, light red fruit mm. expression. Um, that that that's very important. This is this is a wine for me of aperitif. Okay, so you have this before a meal. Yeah, summer summer aperitif yeah. especially. Uh, but you can have it when it's old. It's a young wine because it's 2013. But if you will drink it in 10 years' time, it mm. will be perfect with with meat, for example, okay. with duck or something like that. With it would become a food wine. Fine. But at this point, it's a wine of uh, energy, freshness, fruitiness. Um, you have a velvety touch when you taste it. Creaminess in the ma- in, in on the palate that is uh, uh, very important for for this wine. Uh, there is a sensuality in yeah. this wine, maybe more than in any other. Huh? The rosé champagne offers an extra sensuality for okay. me. Why? Is that because of, the, because of the color? Because of the because of the color and because of the texture. You know, you have mm. a kind of velvety touch. Uh, the the bubbles don't have the same texture because they are wrapped within the Pinot Noir yeah. concentration. So you have yeah, it's very sensual. It's a very okay. it's a caress. Yeah. And is there a we didn't we didn't toast before that? Is that bad luck? 
Is there a Rotoro toast we should do? Or yeah, a, we, we what do you say usually when you when you cheers, as we would say in English? We say santé. santé. We say santé because it, that's French. We okay. say, um, uh, my friend Philippe Stark would say à l'amour. À l'amour. To death. Yeah. No, à l'amour. More. Uh, to love. Oh, to love. À l'amour. I thought yeah, you meant... To love. I don't know. My French is not good no, enough. No, no. À l'amour. À l'amour <laughs> because... Um, not to death. No. To death. Not to okay, death. Okay, thank God for that. I thought that was particularly dark. Okay, well, to love, quite right. You've obviously got an incredible nose and an incredible palate. How can the average Joe train his or her palate and their nose? Is there kind of exercises you can do every morning? Yes, yes. Um, it's, it's, it's exercise. Um, when, when, when you work on your... Um, the most difficult step when you test wine is to... to or anything, yeah, when you test, the most difficult step is to put a name, a word... On, on your feelings, what aromas I got, what what is this fruit? It reminds me something, but I don't remember. I've seen that, I've yeah. tested it, and things like that. And when you try this exercise, you need to do it every often because you need to to print in your mind yeah. what smells a flower, a white flower, what smell what smells a any kind of spice or thing like that to remember what it is. But when you try to to go a little bit further on what, how you did to print those flavors, we realize that everybody comes back to its childhood. Okay. This is when you, I think you are educated to the smell, to the ambience, to the atmosphere when you are young. Uh, it can be anything. It can be the grass, freshly cut grass. It can be... Um, uh, the raspberries and can be uh, wh wh whatever, but this is exactly what you print. At this moment, you print the flavors. So, the journey of tasting is a journey in your own childhood. Okay. Try to find in your childhood what it was, what it, okay. what, what, what you get in your, in your memory. It can be anything. Even if you say coffee here, for example, and I would say toasted bread, and you say coffee. I'm not right, you are not right, or we are both right, because it is, it's, it's your memory. So I think the important part of testing is to activate your memory, your inside memory, your body memory. Yeah. And the second pa important part is to test very often. It's like an athlete, you know, you need to test every day. Or uh, It can be food huh? also. It doesn't have to be wine all the time, but because wine is food. So... You can test your palate on food and test it on wine, but keep keep thinking, keep trying yeah, to find... Yeah, muscle memory. Yeah, work, and then you will get better and better because you will print, and it will be easier for you to say, oh, it tastes like this, it tastes like that. And at one point, you will even say, oh, this tastes like Rodre Rosé 2013. Okay. Because you've tested it once and you printed it. Wow. Mm. And what are the, some of the more unusual tasting notes you've had when people have tried a wine like this? I mean, are there any kind of crazy flavors that people come up with that you completely can't detect at all? Anything completely off the wall? Yes, on one more time, because it depends on your experience. Of if, you are, if you are born, if you, if you grew up in Asia uh, with the special aromas around you, you have some references that wow. we, uh, Champagne people or Londonian, you don't have because you, don't, you didn't grow, in, you didn't grow up you didn't grow up in this atmosphere. So 
I think it's all, it's all a question of the place where where you grew up. Yeah. I was having lunch with um, a perfumier, a chap called Alberto Marias, um, and he ordered his burger sans oignon. He said, pas d'oignon. And he was very insistent on that. So I asked him after the waiter had gone, why don't you want onions? And he said, if I eat onions, my skin will smell of onions for five days yes, and it will, it will corrupt any perfume I've had. Are there uh, any foods you have to avoid when you've got a nose like yours? Uh, food is okay. Uh, for, uh, avoid garlic. Okay, because, no garlic. Um, yeah, garlic wow. is dangerous. Because As a Frenchman. It's the same as onions. <laughs> it's yeah. too strong garlic. It really prints your body. But, but the worst enemy for me is smoke. Okay. Again, so, a, a, a typically French pastime, yeah. if we're going to go on the cliches. Yeah. So you don't smoke at all? You no, I don't smoke. I don't smoke because smoking bothers me today. But I've met some great winemakers. I remember meeting in 1990 Andrei Chelichev, who was a top winemaker in California. And he was a heavy smoker. Okay. And one of the best winemakers in California. And uh, so I discussed with him and I said, why can you, how can you do that? You know, you smoke so much and you drink, you taste so well. And uh, he, he answered me, I tried to stop smoking, but I couldn't recognize my wines after. Oh, okay. So, so I, st I started smoking again. Fine. So he I, think, I think your body calibrates itself to, um, your taste buds calibrate themselves to, to your environment. Yeah. I, I can feel it, you know, when I travel to California, after a few days, I don't taste the same way. And it's interesting, we talk about uh, sparkling wines and wines in general from other regions. Which other regions, I know you work with a lot of wineries around the world, which other regions do you particularly love away from Champagne? Which ones really excite you? What wine region, you mean? Yeah. Um, I think uh, every wine region has some soul inside, you know. Portugal, for example, Douro Valley is absolutely stunning. Uh, beautiful place, um, traditional culture, great wines. So you, have, you, you, you can feel the vibes of Douro when you're there. It's something very, very special. Yeah. But you can have that in different places. Uh, in, in, I think when you visit Barossa Valley in, in, in Australia, you have a really, really uh, feeling, a good feeling of the place as well. Um, so I think every wine country has something to say. The question is, are you curious or not? Yeah. It's not a wine country. There, there, there is always a story. There is always a, uh, feelings. But are you curious or not? I'm yeah. curious. And what about England? Dare I ask, how are our wines these days? Ah, I, I, <laughs> you can be as honest I, as you I, like. I always tell my fr the same story to my friends, um, uh, great uh, English winemaker. I always remind them what John Lennon said one day. He said, uh, English wine is like French rock and roll. Okay. So, but not. surely we've got better. I'm not sure about your rock music, but our wine must yeah. be. It must be better now than. No, in, no, than no. In. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I think you can make great wines everywhere. Of course, if you have a passionate person, uh, it's it's just a question of time. Uh, we in France or Italy or Spain, we have been doing that for centuries. So when you drink a bottle of champagne, this is 400 and 500 years mm. of knowledge, of culture, of terroir, working in a way, expression, selection of grapes, everything. Uh, so what you taste is not just a place, you taste 500 years of history. Um, so 
I guess every country needs 500 years before okay. showing its <laughs> full potential. So, right. So let's wait and see. Okay, we'll wait another 450 years or something. Rendezvous yeah, in 400 years. <laughs> so what do you drink when you're not drinking wine or champagne? What did you Do you still love the beer of your ancestors? or? Yeah, I drink, I, I, I'm very, very... Uh, I'm a curious person, as I said. So I can drink sake. I can drink... Um, not drink. Test sake. Okay. I can test... Um, Any kind of uh, product, you know, that is interesting, that brings new taste. And um, so I drink a lot of different wines, not mm. only champagne, of course. And um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's a lifestyle. Uh, you, you need to be curious. Okay, yeah. You've got to have a lot of reference points, I guess, if you're going to keep tasting. Yes, yes. And, and also you need to be surprised. I think uh, in the... In the ideal of a winemaker, you want to be surprised. Yeah. So what's the next wine? What's the bottle? What, what's the product that will surprise you? Yeah. So talking of next bottles, we've got a bottle of Blanc de Blanc over there, which is um, yeah, looking just as lovely. Yeah, so the, <laughs> this is Blanc de Blanc 2010. So Blanc de Blanc is the white soils, the chalky soils of Champagne. So this is Chardonnay, 100%. One grape variety. And this is um, Aviz, which is a Grand Cru uh, in, um, in Côte des Blancs. So this is uh, on chalk. Uh, this is probably the um, purest expression of the Champagne soils mm -hmm. and, and um, definition. Very elegant, very uh, saline. You know, you have this yeah. saltiness. Yeah. And uh, it is white flower, it is honey, suckle. It's really, really um, developing this um, beautiful complexity. And um, it is creamy on the palate. And uh, so that's, that's a refreshing wine, you know. Yeah. This is maybe the most, the most refreshing champagne. Okay. And what, what do you get from your childhood when you sniff that? And then I'll go and I'll... Yeah, I get, I, <laughs> what I get is white flowers. I get white flowers. Uh, um, that's what you have? No, no, no. no. <laughs> that's much better than mine. But yeah. I'll let you go. I've, I've got white flowers. I've got hazelnuts. Hazelnuts, okay. you know, yeah. dry, dry, dry um, fruit. Um, I, got, um, I got a little bit of spices as well. Um, and it's just been opened. So it, mm. will, it will develop with time. What do you have? Well, I was going to say the first thing I thought was kind of sea, sea, seawater. Yeah. Do you get that? Yeah. Is that crazy to say? If no, no. It's, it's like it's, kind of it's, no, Cornish coast. It's exactly right. It's, uh, you know, oh, there brilliant. is one typical smell, smell of champagne. We say oyster shell. Oh, so okay. this, is yeah. what, this is exactly the, the sea, ocean flavor that is coming from chalk. And chalk in champagne gives this. Yeah. Uh, and when it ages, it's even stronger. Mm. When you test a 20-year-old champagne, you always have this oyster okay. shell, sea, ocean flavor. This is uh, the chalk. Fine. And then oh, my, you're good. My second one, well, thank you very much. My second one, um, it may be more out there, but the, ki the kind of the outside of a pineapple, not the, not the fruit of a pineapple, but the kind of the leaves and things like that. 
You're less convinced by that. That's less yeah. good. But I it's true. I, I I'm right as well. I don't test. I'm, <laughs> I'm not an expert in leaves of the pineapple. Oh, no, I am. I am Jean-Baptiste. You, so you see, you are. Yeah, you leave the, the pineapple yeah. leaves to me and I'll leave the champagne yeah. to you. No, I'm really not you. at all. I trust you. Thank you very, very You're much. Right. <laughs> I don't think I ever really liked pineapple in my childhood, so I'm not sure where that's come from. Yeah. I may have imported that from someone else. Who knows? Who knows? So how much do you think um, the champagne industry and the wine industry in general has changed in the, the three decades when you've been working in it? I think we have, we have, we have seen a, a strong change over the last um, 20 years, and it's happening even now, which is um, we have gone back to the vineyards. Um, maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the, the winery was the center of our art you know we were transforming fermenting um, aging on leaves uh, blending so um, that was the center of our of our winemaking and um, we have understood uh, 20 years ago that in fact winemaking was only um, to find the right way to treat the grapes so you need high quality grapes to be able to get high quality wines. So we went back to the vineyards and um, to really craft uh, the farming uh, to the point of precision, super quality fruit. Um, and then our job of, as a winemaker is to capture these mm. special flavors and not to transform it too much. I, I guess the same thing happened in the, in the, in the food industry with the chef. Uh, in the 70s, 80s, the great chef were using a lot of sauce, a lot of spices, yeah. uh, cooking a lot. And maybe now the chefs are just doing the right thing, you know, soft cooking, slow food, soft cooking. So we are in the slow wine now, and this is exactly the same movement. Um, uh, as I said, wine is food, so we have the same... Uh, Maybe the same quest. Yeah. And it, it's some of the phrases we hear a lot nowadays are biodynamic and organic. What's mm. the difference between those two things and what do they actually mean in an yeah. everyday sense? That's a, that's a, big, that's a tough question. We, we have switched to organic a lot of our vineyards and uh, part of them to biodynamic. Organic is uh, simply using very uh, low pesticides mm -hmm. and uh, only two kinds of pesticides or using no herbicides and using two kinds of pesticides this is copper and sulfur that are mineral pesticides and they are just contact pesticides so they don't enter the vine they are not powerful pesticides mm -hmm. and they are natural pesticides so the idea of organic is to say we must respect the soil we must respect the vines we don't need to use powerful, invasive kind of pesticides. We need to protect, respect the soil. We need to respect the atmosphere and we need to respect the people because no pollution. So this is the idea of, of uh, organic. Biodynamic goes a little bit further, which is um, we try to use some natural preparations which can be... Um, uh, some infusions or some compost or but natural things that will um, increase the natural defense of the vines. So you by by, we, by using biodynamic preparations, you can decrease even the copper of sulfur you use. So you can you can be very very 
poor in the pesticide input of your production. This is all about carbon footprint, uh, your footprint. Okay. Um, uh, you decrease your footprint to the minimum pos possible to really respect the soil and uh, the vineyards as well, yeah. and the wine in the end. And talking of climate, as climate change may be inevitable now, how's that going to affect a region like Champagne, which is so finely poised with its climate and its terroir? Yeah. Today, to, we, I, don't, I don't even call it climate change. I call it climate crisis because it's a crisis. By, by calling climate change, I think we, we are too soft. Okay. It's, it's a crisis. It's, there is urgency there's, to act. And um, so and we can still act if we, if, we sh if we go for that. And for our children, it's important. To date, it has been good for Champagne. Good news for Champagne is climate change because we are picking earlier. We have better condition, ripening conditions. So overall, we have a fruit that is better looking, higher yields, which is good year after year. And uh, so this is a good sign. But the question is, what will it be in yeah. 10, 20, 30, 40 years? So we, dist, we definitely have to decrease our footprint. Soil footprint, water, air footprint, carbon footprint, all of that must be studied and must come down to the minimum, minimum uh, level. Yeah. And how do you kind of put sustainability at the heart of things at Louis Rodera? We are family business. Mm -hmm. So uh, the sustainability speaks to a family business. It's not to declare for shareholders. It's okay. really the, the, the first idea of the family is to transmit the assets to the next generation. So uh, we want to we we want to transmit our land, our wine, our know-how to the next generation and the next generation. So this is in I think it is in our DNA to be uh, sustainable. Um, and because we are family, we can go faster. And we have we have at Roder we have been going much faster than all the region on that. Okay. Yeah. And where do you think? the brand will be in 20 years 30 years time where would you hope it to be i think i think first i think we will in 20 years or 30 years time we will be as uh, enjoying what we are doing as much as we do today um, we are really having fun making crafting those wines and and uh, and doing what we do so making wine you need to enjoy it if you don't enjoy it it's you don't, you don't make what uh, the wines, the, the, the most beautiful wines. So first, in 20, 30 years, I think they will enjoy them as much as we do today. Okay, good. Uh, first thing. And second thing, um, I think we, we, we must very slowly and continuously uh, print this ideal champagne idea of finesse, elegance, uh, and being more and more sustainable, be maybe carbon neutral in what we do, um, invent the next step of organic farming, maybe because there will, I hope there will be a next step. We just it's just a, a chapter mm -hmm. um, where we have the right the right practices, the right um, the right uh, farming to to be even more respectful for what we do and for life in general. Yeah. Might there be a day when 
a robot can make a better wine than a man? When there's an artificial intelligence, or do you think it has to come from our childhood, from our soul? Yes, uh, I think AI is something we have to work with. Okay. Um, it, it can help us, especially in all the knowledge. You know, you can have a further knowledge of um, the vineyards, the soil, uh, because uh, with all connected equipment that, that tells you information we don't know today. So that's a very interesting uh, step forward. We can also think about all the hard working because when you go for organic you don't use herbicide anymore so it's you need to till and that's hard work so maybe we can have tomorrow some robots that do that okay uh, because it's there's no added value instead of it's only removing weeds uh, i don't think uh, this is the best um, area to put mankind or intelligence um, there are plenty of application as long as it's used in an ethic and mm. way. Yeah. That's always a question. Huh? It's, it's like chemistry in the 60s. That was fantastic. There was some people used it and some people abused it. Uh, today, this is genetic. Some people will use it. Some people will abuse it. And AI is the same. Some people mm. will use it properly with yeah. ethic and some people will probably overuse it. And you spoke about planting vines that you'll never cultivate yourself. When do you think that time will come? And what, what do you need to achieve before you think you can finally hang up your shears or your, I don't know, your glass, <laughs> if that makes sense? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, you know, I, you, you, you cannot plan too much ahead. Uh, what is important to plan is your transmission. So I, al I already have my right-hand man mm -hmm. to take over. Okay. So I have... Uh, uh, my, my team is structured for the next step. Fine. And uh, um, so we are, big, one more time, because of family business, we need to plan ahead, give the trans, do the transmission, and, um, and maybe uh, let them uh, uh, play the game okay. and look at it from a distance and, uh, and do other things. Fine. And they might do something completely different. And I hope they will. <laughs> okay, right. In fact, <laughs> I hope they will create, they will innovate, they will uh, take risks, and they will uh, they will find some new new things that we didn't we yeah. didn't foresee. Uh, that's why I always say the best champagne doesn't exist yet. Wow, it's to come. Before you go, I want to ask you uh, the questions we ask everybody, which are a bit more personal, but hopefully just as fun. This is an interesting one for you. Who in the world of business do you most admire? But you could answer who in the world of wine do you most admire? Because I guess that's maybe more applicable. Alive or dead? <laughs> it could be either. No, I have a strong, um, a strong respect for one man that I met in, uh, in 1990 in Australia, whose name is uh, Bill Mollison. He, he, invented with, he invented permaculture. This is a movement of farming, of natural farming. I think he opened some really, really new ideas, uh, not in a religious way, really in a, in a balanced way. So Bill Mollison from Tasmania is certainly the, the person I admire, I admire the most for his disruptive, mm. innovative vision of farming. Yeah. And what about the business side of wine? There have recently been, I guess, some, some kind of real businessmen who have 
maybe created brands around wines. Yes, I would say the, the standard answer probably of Steve Jobs or people like yeah. that who, who are really uh, who created something from their garage, which is yeah. such huge yeah. innovation today. Is, you know, so do you think that can happen in wine? That innovation can. Is there a, a nine-year-old sitting now who could? I don't know, invent a new kind of wine if that's possible or do something completely different. How could that be disrupted? Yeah, yeah I think, I, th- I, th- I think we can, we can, uh, we can, we can disrupt as long as we, um, we understand the full, fully the biologic side of what we do. And mm. on the middle of the biologic side, there is a yeast because that's the yeast who transform juice into wine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we need to understand that, and I think there are a lot of things we don't understand fully. Fine. And that maybe some people tomorrow will understand better. Okay. And what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't making wine? Drinking wine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and for a job, would it be beer? Do you think? <laughs> Hope so. I Hope so. Be. No. <laughs> uh, I think, as I said, wine is passion. Uh, I, I'm lucky to have my. To, to do as a job my passion as a job but it's so passion it's such a passion that you cannot have another passion yeah so what I will do I don't know what I will do <laughs> okay good well I know what I won't to. do I would not do I would not do politics okay sure. good no definitely not um, what's your worst habit is there something you do that you're particularly ashamed of um, yeah my worst habit is to be um I, I think I'm a little bit too. Um, uh, what, uh, how do you say that? Um, too um, precise and uh, a bit too. Um, What's the word we want? Um, obsessive about the details? I don't yes, know. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think I'm a little bit obsessed of okay. details. Is that um, what your your staff would say? Yeah. Fine. Yeah, I think I'm uh, really, really you know what you uh, want. a bit a bit hard on that. Okay, good. Well, you need to be. Yeah. I don't think you can be sloppy with this stuff. Yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, what's What are you most proud of in your career so far? The most proud of is, is I'm most proud of my team, I would say, to have grown, uh, detected some talents and uh, have them have them growing on my side, close to me. And, um, and because wine is a, man's story you know I think my, my team is without my team I would not do what I'm doing and we and I think we have done together we have worked with all of them a fantastic yeah. story so that's teamwork and what's the best vintage you think you've ever made is there a year that stands uh, out 18 that's uh, yeah. 2018 is my best vintage ever uh, because I think everything uh, all the planets aligned the fruit, the time, the fermentation, uh, everything was just perfect. What's your biggest regret or your biggest failure, maybe? Is there, has there ever been a vintage that's gone absolutely terribly due to yes. things out of your hands? Yes, um, uh, we have had some difficult vintages, but it, we, we stopped it then before bottling it, so it was not bottled. But um, maybe my, my biggest failure was 2012 where uh, we we were a bit too optimistic on our organic farming and we lost a little bit of crop okay which we should not have and today i would not have the same uh, yeah it would not happen today okay good we but more. you need to be 
you need to learn from your failures. Yeah. I think we would not be where we are today if we didn't experience this, this difficult time. Yeah. Are there any trends in the world of wine that you you can't get on board with that you don't like at all I mean I'm, we're, I'm told this summer is going to be the summer of canned wine wine in cans what do you think about that I don't think it's wine I don't you don't think, think it's wine if it's, it's in a can it's not wine anymore it's <laughs> it's uh, yeah why does, why does a can change the quality of the liquid surely it's the same isn't it a can by definition for me is selfish and wine <laughs> is, is nothing but why selfish. because it's just made for wine yeah you drink your can uh, wine is about sharing, so it's, that's why. That's why I think it's not. Yeah, it's not my thing. Okay, but, but so Rodero won't be doing. But a who, who am I to judge that? You know, no. um, I know what I will do and what I won't do. So what else don't you like? Is there anything else that you think is a worrying trend in the way we drink wine or talk about wine? Yes, or well, just just what I don't like is when everybody is saying the same things. You know, when uh, the fashion effect of wine when everybody is um, because one said two, two, one or two persons said everybody says and reacts the same way um, I think it's dangerous it's dangerous uh, you need always to keep your your own point of view mm -hmm. and um, so sometimes the wine business can be under um, some fashion uh, things and uh, I think it's um, it, it's wrong. Okay. What are the fashions at the moment? I guess the, when I think of fashion and wine, I think of things like Whispering Angel, which is kind of an American name with a French winemaker and all kind of built up for Instagram and showing off on social media. What do you think about those brands and those wines? Uh, it's, it's not, it's not uh, what I meant by uh, fashion. No? No. That's not fashion, that's, that's branding. Fine. Well, if you want to brand Whispering Angels, uh, they do it on Whispering Angels. When you test it, it's... It's a good wine. It's a good mm. rosé. So uh, I have nothing against that. Uh, what, what the fashion I don't like is that tomorrow everybody says zero sulfur. Sulfur is bad for you. Yeah. Uh, some wines need sulfur, uh, little sulfur, and sulfur is not bad. When people say co copper is bad, are you sure? We have been using it for for centuries. Are you really sure of that? So I think there are some shortcuts that people take without looking at the long term where we come from and where uh, we can go. So there are some, some immediate things. But, but when I say that, I like, there are some wines that I like that are zero sulfur. Mm. But they have been made in a way that uh, was controlled. Okay. But the zero sulfur, because zero sulfur, no. Uh, it's not a wine is not good because it's zero sulfur. The same way, a wine is not good because it's biodynamic. The wine is good because it's well made from a good terroir with biodynamic mm -hmm. practice. But the biodynamic is not the answer to the best wines. Of course. And what's your biggest fear? What what keeps Jean Baptiste up at night? What do you worry about? I'm just in, uh, trying to invent the best champagne. Okay. So every year I push the limit a little bit further no you need in this job you need to create every year um, every vintage you need to create it's a, it's a job of experience so every year you learn from your failure from your success mm -hmm. and um, you, so you can the year after you can really put in place uh, a better vision so it's really cr getting getting more and more precise so it's a never-ending story in fact yeah 
Do you have a party trick? Party trick? Something you, I don't know, something you do, a little skill that we don't know about, maybe. Up your sleeve. No, I'm very, no. Fine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a perfect man. Okay. I'm good. a saint. Okay, quite right, neither do I. Um, what's your most treasured possession? My most treasured possession? My, my children. Okay, fine. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And what is there a bottle of wine maybe that you've got stored away somewhere that I means got, a lot? I've got a few. Few. I've got a few. Um, I've got a few good bottles um, to share with good friends one day. Okay. When do you think that'll come? Do you, will it be any spur of the moment thing? It really thing? depends. It okay. really depends. Good. You're not saving them for your 90th birthday or something? No, no. no. Okay. No, no. no. <laughs> More impulsive. No, no. Is, is there a book that's influenced you the most? The book, yes, uh, the One Straw Revolution, I would say, by uh, Masanobu Fukuoka, you know, the Japanese. I don't, sadly. Wow. It, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic book. It's, it, it really, it's called The One Straw Revolution. It's, it's uh, again, the, the disruptive and the farming point of view. Yeah. And um, what's your personal motto? Do you have a saying that guides you through life? Think big, act small. Okay, good. I mean, think with no limit, so think big. Act small details, not big actions. Small details are making the big difference at the end. So think big, think the world, think all, no, no limit, but act every day, small. Excellent. Jean-Baptiste, thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Hope Good. you like the wines, by the way. I love the wines, by the way. I should say, yeah, some of the best champagne I've drank this afternoon. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> the Thank best you. in a long time. <laughs> it's lovely. You. Thank you very much. Santé. Cheers. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the worlds of entrepreneurs, raconteurs and tastemakers. But in the meantime, you can read more at thegentlemansjournal.com or follow us on Instagram if you're so inclined, at the Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.